Turn with me. I'm, gonna, I'm doing something a little bit different this week. We're going to be looking at Titus chapter 1. Just a couple of verses, 15 and 16. And then we're going to, I'm going to read, this is, the thing that's unusual is this is a topical sermon. So I'm going to actually read from three different books. We're going to start in Titus. And then we're going to read from Hebrews, just a one short sentence, and then we're going to read a couple of verses in Romans too. So Titus 1, find that first. After 1st and 2nd Timothy. <clears throat> Again, verse, verses 15 and 16. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. And then Hebrews 11, we're going to go a little bit further. Hebrews 11, just the beginning of <clears throat> verse 6, says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, him being God, of course. And then Romans 14 And I'll refer back to these and read them again for you guys, so <clears throat> don't worry about trying to memorize every verse here. But uh, Romans 14, 22, and 23 says, The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. This is the word of the Lord. So these three tiny little snippets pulled out from their larger context, which of course is always what happens when you treat, when you preach a topical sermon, um, come together to address a topic uh, that is, it's apropos always, but uh, thinking about the election just, just now made me think, well, here now it's, it's a great example of uh, the kind of thing that is addressed in these passages because what we are all tempted to do is to come up with a set of answers to every question of whether you should do something that is not dependent on faith but that is rather dependent on uh, our own 
reasoning. Okay? And there's nothing wrong with reasoning. And there is such a thing as right and wrong. But is it possible to do the right thing for the wrong reason? And then if so, what does that mean? What does, what's, what does that end up being? Is it, is it still the right thing? Or a different way of asking the question is, what does faith have to do with right and wrong? What does faith have to do with right and wrong? What we're going to see as we go back through these verses is that to the pure, all things are pure means that we have what is called Christian liberty, Christian freedom, right? And this is a much delighted in and much spoken of topic, but I think rarely understood properly. Um, because <clears throat> what we tend to do with, when we insist on Christian liberty is we tend to simply justify our own sin and with no regard to faith. We insist on being allowed to do something. And on the flip side, as I already got done explaining, we also have this tendency to make rules that, that we think have to apply to absolutely everybody in any given situation. And again, separate faith from the equation. So what we see in each of these three passages that I just read is the necessary connection of faith to obedience, to true obedience. So let's think about this for a second. Let's, let's go through some categories. Sometimes the fact that I've done programming shows through in my sermons, and I look at this sermon and I think this is just like a programmer would write a sermon. It's silly, but uh, you know, I got I've got everything broken down into these nice categories. <clears throat> Even this doesn't really work that way, but it helps us for thinking sometimes to to try to put things into categories. So, what are what are the categories I'm talking about? Well, I want you to think about doing the right thing or the wrong thing, and for the right reason or the wrong reason. So if you've got two sets of two, they come together to make what? Four, right? Four different possible combinations there. So if we do what we are convinced is wrong, if we do something that we believe we should not be doing, then we are intentionally defying God. Believing that we ought not to do it and going ahead and doing it, we are defying what we understand to be God's command to us, right? And so whether or not what we do is actually forbidden by God, we are in sin. Do you understand that? You have seen this in your own life, certainly. Um, I just heard a story about uh, 
a father walking into a room and seeing his children do the jump. Like they knew that what they were doing, they weren't supposed to be doing, right? Have you guys all experienced this? I mean, I remember it as a kid, and it's happened to me as an adult, where all of a sudden somebody's there, and you're doing something that you're just not, you're, you just don't want them to know that you were doing it. And it's not wrapping presents for them. Right? It's something that you're ashamed of, and that's why you jump. What's going on there? There might not actually be anything wrong with what you're doing, but you are doing it with a guilty conscience, aren't you? And so when you do something that is against your conscience, what does that passage in Titus say? To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. You can't do anything with a clean conscience when you're not clean. And so, if you take this, if you take this example of having the, of, of the, the jump, you know, the guilty jump that we do, <clears throat> if you take that example and you work your way back a little bit from it, one of the things that can cause that isn't necessarily the fact that you're doing anything wrong right then. You may not have any qualms about what you're doing right at that moment. But the reason you jump is because you have a guilty conscience from something that you did prior to that. You can think back through your memory the number of times you've probably had this experience of being startled in, in guilt. And sometimes it's not that you're startled in the guilt of what you're doing right then, but that you're afraid that something you've done before is going to have been found out. And that's what makes, that's what has you on edge. We read, uh, we read, what's it called? Heidi. Is that what it's called? Is that just the whole title? Yeah, Heidi. <clears throat> and there's this little, there's this, there's this boy in the story of Heidi who's this goat herd. And at one point in the story, he takes a wheelchair and shoves it down the mountain, and it's obliterated. It's destroyed as it rolls down the mountain, tumbles, and flies apart. And from that moment on, everything that he does in the story is him being angry and plagued by, that, by the guilt of what he's done and the fear of the police coming from Austria and arresting him. Which is an absurd fear, right, that in the story, you know that no, no police officers are going to come from this faraway city and, I don't remember what city it was, but, you know, another you know, major city, the police are going to come up and they're going to arrest him. <clears throat> but he's constantly on edge. He's like a scared rabbit running everywhere. Every time anybody shows up, he's afraid that they're bringing the bad news of his ultimate demise for this one deed that he did. And so every time anybody talks to him, he's lashing out and then he's sprinting away and he's hiding behind trees and bushes and always startled. 
Not that any of the rest of those, not that he's been doing anything wrong after that one act, right? But just that he has a guilty conscience. And so when we get a guilty conscience, everything that we do is defiled by that guilty conscience, isn't it? You can't even clear the table after dinner without doing it defiled. Everything that you do ends up having this corruption because your mind and your conscience are defiled. And so as you keep reading it, you see that those who are defiled and unbelieving can't do anything pure. To them, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. So, Returning to our categories, I know I'm, I'm kind of broadening that category, but if we've, if we've talked about doing what we are convinced is wrong, you know that when you do something you're convinced is wrong, you are being disobedient no matter what that thing is that you're convinced is wrong. You know, to go with simple examples again, if you if you uh, are you you can be clearing the table, but feel like actually what you should be doing is working on your schoolwork, right? And what is clearing the table? To you, it's sin, because you know that you're supposed to be doing something else, and you're just deciding to put away the pencils and sharpen them on your desk when you're supposed to be working on your schoolwork, right? Isn't this what? When we are delaying doing the work that we know we ought to do, it doesn't matter what good thing we accomplish in that time frame, we're doing it with a guilty conscience. And so when we do what we are convinced is wrong, that is defying God, no matter how innocent the, the particular action is. Because, I mean, there is nothing wrong with sharpening your pencils. There is nothing wrong with clearing the table, right? There is nothing wrong with reading the news. These are not sinful things unless you're doing them against your conscience, in which case they immediately become sinful. Now, changing the category, we can also do what is wrong. What is actually wrong? What is forbidden by God in that sense of wrong, right? You can do what is forbidden, but being convinced that it is right. You can do what is wrong, being convinced that, is, that it is right. Now, you may doubt that that's possible, knowing that we have a conscience, right? And God has given us a conscience, but it is also possible for our consciences to be uh, 
deadened and to lose knowledge of right and wrong in various areas. And it's also possible for us not to have heard some of the commands of God and to be convinced that something we're doing that is forbidden by God is actually good and right. Now, God judges the secrets of our heart. And so, our guilt remains when we disobey God. Even if we think what we're doing is right. But, our guilt is less without knowledge of the law. This is what Paul says in Romans when he's describing the fact that with, you know, if, if the law hadn't told him, what is it? Remember what it is? Yeah, do not, if, he, if it hadn't been for the law telling him not to covet, then he wouldn't have had the guilt of coveting. But once he heard from the law, you shall not covet, <clears throat> then his guilt of coveting increases, doesn't it? But coveting is always wrong, isn't it? Even if you've never been taught that coveting is wrong, you're guilty for coveting when you covet. You're just less guilty if you didn't know that you weren't supposed to. If it was the case that we could do anything as long as we were convinced, as long as we did it with a good conscience, as long as, we were, as long as we were convinced that we were doing the right thing, then that just made it right, then what we would have is what the world thinks today we have. Complete individualistic relativity, right? Where what any individual feels or thinks at that given moment determines what is right and wrong for them. But of course, that's exactly what we don't have. We have God being the ultimate arbiter, the ultimate judge, determiner of right and wrong. The creator is the one who establishes what we are to do and what we are not to do, right? And so even if you feel like what you should do What the, what the just thing to do is to be angry with your brother and smack him. Or to say, you fool, or raka, as our passage in Matthew that we read earlier said, right? Yet you will be guilty before the Supreme Court for that. Now, our next category is to do what is right, but what? Do what is right, but what? What, are, what, were, our, what were our two sides to the, to the coin? Yeah, without faith, or rather, uh, for the wrong reason. You can do the right thing for the wrong reason. So how does that work? This is where it 
probably gets uh, the most complicated for us. When you think about that, that you've done the right thing, but for the wrong reasons. Or in other words, you do the right thing, but as a cover for your own wicked intentions. That's what it means to do the right thing for the wrong reason. Or to do it not by faith. It's to seek to do the right thing, but not so that God may be glorified, but rather so that you may receive some benefit for yourself, so that you may be glorified. <clears throat> if you think about the um, commands that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 6, he warns us against doing things for show. In Matthew 6, you've got him warning against uh, praying out loud on the street corners to be seen by men. He warns against fasting in such a way that other people will see uh, so that you can receive your praise. He warns, and now, now what, he's, what is he warning against? He's warning against doing some good things, you could say, for the wrong reason. And then they end up being done the wrong way, too, right? But, the, but the, at the heart of Jesus' warning is the warning against having bad motives in doing the right thing. Because, of course, praying and fasting and giving are things that we are to do. And his concern is not that, uh, that we totally hide everything that we do that's good. His concern isn't that we make sure nobody can find out. His concern is that we think about and drive at what our own desires are. If it bothers you to think about a good deed that you've done never being found out by anybody, you've not done a good deed. Because what you've done is the right thing, but for the wrong reasons, so that you may be glorified. <clears throat> but this is hard, right? Because as soon as I say that everything that you do for the, that's the right thing to do, but for the wrong reason, is actually sin, then if you know yourself, you start to think, wait a minute, that can't be because that means that everything that I do is sin because I always have wrong reasons. I always have wrong motives somewhere in me. And of course, this is, this is true. Everything that we do is touched by the corruption of our nature from the fall. And so, yes, nothing that you do is is perfectly motivated. Nothing that you do is perfectly pure. And this, this gets to be very, uh, very depressing to some people. 
right? Because the, the more you seek to purify your motives, the more you seek to do the right thing for the right reasons as opposed to for the wrong reasons, the more you discover how, how many layers deep your heart is in its sin. How, how many different ways there are for you to make sure that other people, that somebody at least finds out about it, right? <laughs> or to make sure that, um, that you receive some benefit yourself for the self-sacrificial thing that you did for somebody else. Because there's so many different ways of rewarding, of, of being rewarded for our deeds. There's so many different ways that we can receive benefit. And this is why Jesus over and over again focuses on this kind of warning. You know, no, don't invite people over who can have you back over to, for lunch after church. Because then they'll have you over and then you've been repaid. Now, let's think about that for a second. <clears throat> How many of you are able to have somebody over for lunch after church? Okay, so now none of us can ever have anybody over for church anymore, right? Because everybody in here was able to have somebody over again themselves. So everybody here, today at least, can repay you. So now you've been freed. No need for hospitality. Right? No. Why do I, you know, why do I make this ridiculous assertion? Well, because I want you to see that Jesus' point is not you may not have people over if they can repay you. His point is look at your heart. His point is examine your motives. His point is don't do the right thing for the wrong reason. Do the right thing for the right reason. And so with all of these things, it's the same with giving in secret. The point isn't make sure nobody ever finds out about what you're giving. No. Because then, would you be able to give? No, you wouldn't be able to give, would you? And so, if this ultimate, this, if this command to us, uh, to make sure that we're doing things for the right reason, all right? If it meant don't bother doing anything unless you have perfectly pure motives, then none of us would ever do anything. If we're honest with ourselves and we look at our motives, we would recognize that there's always some impurity there. And so <clears throat> this is what it means by, in Hebrews 11.6, when it says, without faith it is impossible to please him. Why is it impossible to please him? Well, because it is impossible for your deeds to have totally pure motives. That's why. This is what is uh, meant when it says that even our righteousness is as filthy rags before him. Even our righteousness, even our good deeds are corrupted by all of the sinful motives that still remain within us that have not been put to death.
And so when we do what is right, but we do it as a cover for our wicked intentions, or we do it just for show, then we know we're not actually doing what's right. It's just simple sinning again. But when we do what is right because we are convinced it's right, and also because we want a little bit of glory for ourselves, what then? In other words, when you have these mixed motives, some pure and some defiled, some good, some bad, well, that is where faith really comes to the forefront in this conversation. Because all of a sudden you realize, okay, I have to do what is right. I have to do it because I'm convinced it's right. I have to do it even though I'm going to have bad motives in it. And it'll be displeasing to God unless I do it by faith. But if I do it by faith, all of my wicked motives, all of my sin is purified to the pure all things are pure that's what we are to be as Christians we are to be pure in our actions we are to act by faith because without faith it is impossible to please him but with faith what happens our actions are made pure, and they are pleasing to him. And indeed, the deeds of the saints are pleasing to God. You think of the book of Revelation and where it talks about the, the saints and their prayers rising up, the, the, the worship being a pleasing aroma to God. You think of all of the places where uh, it's clear that God delights in the good deeds of his people. And what you realize isn't that that meant perfect people. You realize that that has nothing to do with what the Roman Catholic Church thinks of as a saint. Someone who has done who has done so much good that they've overwhelmed any of the bad that they've done in their life. They've, they've paid off, in fact, paid off more than is necessary so other people can benefit by their payoff, right? It's totally opposite of that. Instead, it's all of our deeds are wicked, period. All of our deeds no matter whether they're obedient or disobedient, are displeasing to him unless they are done by faith. Because to the unbelieving, nothing is pure. But to the believing, everything is made pure. So let's dive into these... Uh, Let's dive into your motives. Let's dive into your heart a little bit further. 
If you think about doing what is right because you know it's right, you're convinced it's right, and that you ought to do it, you can also do it without believing that God's command is good. You can do it convinced that God can't use it for good. Convinced that it will only be miserable for you. That it will only be bad in its outcome. What is that? Well, that's faithlessness, isn't it? Think about the parable of the talents and that, that wicked slave who hid his talent in the ground and returned it to his master. Returning it to his master was the thing that was required of him, right? He was to keep it and to return it when his master returned. And yet, what has he done? He's, he's done wickedness because he is convinced of the wickedness of the master. Because he thinks the master just has it in for him. And when we do this, we think, well, God is just doing, God just makes me obey in this way. God just puts me through this trial and, and, and seeks to make me obey because he's just me. God just has it in for me. And that's believing evil of God and yet knowing the right thing to do and going ahead and doing it, but not by faith. If you think about the, that wicked servant giving, maybe getting another chance, right? And so he gets another chance and what does he do? What does, what does the master say he should have done? You wicked slave, you should have put it in the bank, at least I would have gotten it back with interest. And so the next time around, what does the wicked slave do? You know what he would do. He'd take that talent right over to the bank and say, now he can't find anything wrong in what I've done. But of course, the master returns and he takes it out of the bank and he says, here it is, back with interest. And what would the master say? You wicked slave. You wicked slave. That's what he would say. You haven't learned the lesson. You still think that I am evil. You still think that I have it in for you. You still have no faith. Well, what is our other option? Well, another option is you can do what is right because you're convinced it's right. Trusting God that doing good is better than doing bad. Actually better. Actually better for you. And having faith in him to make good fruit come from those hard, difficult things that obedience requires of you. If you think about a missionary that goes off and leaves everything behind 
especially if you think back 100 years ago where it actually meant leaving everything behind, right? You didn't have satellite phones or internet access or even the ability to get back in under two or three months by ship, right? Think about, think about these missionaries going, leaving everything behind, and you think there's, there's two ways of going and doing that, right? One is going and doing it by faith, and one is going and doing it because you're convinced that, you know, you're supposed to, but boy, is it miserable. This is Jonah, right? Jonah first says, I don't want to go, and God says, you're going to go. So then he goes, and he goes, but I don't want to be here doing it just the same. God brings about good from that, but not because of Jonah's faith. When we do what is right, trusting God, then our actions give glory to God. Then and only then do our actions give glory to God. Now, there's this whole other category that we need to think about. And this other category is doing what is neither right nor wrong, but what is indifferent, right? Now, what are things that are indifferent? Well, going on a walk or not going on a walk, right? I mean, hey, do it or don't. It's your choice. But the moment I say that, immediately you start putting it into particular contexts, right? And so you may be thinking, well, if I don't, if you don't go on a walk, it's actually because you're lazy. And so it's sin to not go on a walk. Maybe. Maybe for you, that is what's going on, and you shouldn't go on a walk because it would have wrong, or, or you should rather, right? What's lazy, to stay home or to go out? I guess <laughs> got confused for a second there. Yeah, our motives still come into play with what we do that's indifferent, right? We can either do it by faith, in which case our deeds are purified, despite our many wrong motives. And you will have wrong motives even in these indifferent things. You'll have good and bad all mixed up together as you decide whether to go on a walk or not. Now, if you do that by faith, then your deeds are purified. But if you do it not trusting God, then even those indifferent things become impure. I'm going to read, read that Romans passage. To the faith, or the faith which you have, 1422, the faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. 
Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Now, how is it possible that we can condemn ourselves in what we approve? Well, one of the ways that we condemn ourselves in what we approve is by approving sinful things. But another way that we condemn ourselves by what we approve is by approving things without faith. Continuing, it says, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats. Now, the context of this is, of course, the question of meat sacrificed to idols, right? He who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. So now let's talk about gluttony for a second because here we're talking about eating, right? Some of us have become convinced, wrong, wrongly convinced, that, you know, having a second slice of cake is just gluttony, plain and simple, always. It's wrong. And this is a, uh, a very sort of narrow, nasty way of looking at the world, that we have all of these things that are uh, given to us as commands, and that then we have to, we just have to have this, this nasty life of obedience where there's, you know, you can't actually, you, you, you really can't even have one piece of cake if you're really enjoying it. That's gluttony. Right? Or you can't have cake as, you know, you can't have cake if you've had, uh, if you've had seconds of the main course. Clearly that would be gluttony. But of course, nowhere in the Bible do we have these things laid out, these kinds of rules, right? And so really what we, what, what we do, at, when we have that worldview, we have that idea of right and wrong, we look at the world not through faith. We look at the world not purely, but through impure eyes in an impure heart and a conscience that's defiled. That's what leads us into this nasty worldview where we think that everything that is good and happy has to just be shut down. Do you get that? That's demonstration of our lack of faith. It's demonstration of our bad conscience. And so what what you often know about people who look down on other people for having two pieces of cake is that they have a bad conscience about gluttony or about any number of things potentially, right? It could be that they have a bad conscience about, who knows, how they treated their wife that morning on the way to church. And so now they're just, nothing is pure. To the, undefi to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. You can't even rejoice in your meal without being accused in your conscience of just being a glutton or without accusing other people of just being gluttons. Do you understand? So this plays out 
where you, in your conscience, are convinced that you can't have another piece of cake. Because every time you, if, if, if anyone ever has two pieces of cake, that's gluttony. And then what does, what, what does our passage in Romans say? He who doubts is condemned if he eats. And so now, guess what? You can't have two pieces of cake. You can't have two pieces of cake without being in sin because you're convinced that it's always wrong. But you're an idiot because it's not always wrong. And you could just enjoy your life a lot more. Right? If you had a clean conscience. And if you don't doubt. If you don't doubt. Now part of my purpose in preaching this sermon is to exhort and encourage all of you not to doubt. Not to doubt, uh, sure, not to doubt about two pieces of cake. But that's meaningless, right? Really, that's sort of like the, the lowest, lowest level of simple and pathetic applications. What I want you to stop doubting about is so many, many more things. A, a great example uh, is voting, right? We have the opportunity to vote in this nation, and Christ, some Christians say that, no, that, that nobody should ever vote. And other Christians say, Every Christian has to vote every single election, every possible vote that you can pass, possibly cast ever is a sin if you miss it. And what I would say to you is, forget those people. Forget those people. Do what is good according to your conscience by faith. And then, don't be so doubting about it. <laughs> now, don't hear me saying that there's no such thing as wisdom. Of course there's such a thing as wisdom. Of course there's such a thing as reasoning. Of making better decisions and worse decisions. Okay, But, but my point is that that is, that is uh, secondary to the work of simply acting by faith once you make your decision. Simply trusting God with that decision once you make it. Okay? So say you decide to vote for Trump. And he turns out to be everything that I think he's going to be, which is terrible. Okay? And it ends up being the downfall of not just the United States, but the, but the, the whole world. Okay. Just, just pretend with me, if you will. So now you look back and you think, I can't believe 
I did that. I'm responsible. I voted for him. And I say, well, let me ask you a question. Did you vote for him by faith? Or did you vote out of fear? You see the difference? And my point isn't to try to convince you to vote for him. I, I really prefer if you didn't, personally. But my, but my point is, you know, you look back at these things and you think it's, it's perfectly legitimate for you to judge that what you did was actually very foolish. But that doesn't make it a sin. That bad came from it that you should have gotten more counsel, that there were better choices that you could have made. In all sorts of areas in your life, there are issues of wisdom and issues of faith with these decisions that we make. And yes, you'll have bad motives mixed in always, right? But trust God with the decisions that you made and move on. Move on. There's a huge category of things that are neither right nor wrong. Follow your conscience and quit being so concerned about what other people do. This is where we really get ourselves into trouble. You, you have to stop thinking that because you made this choice, Everybody else has to make the same choice as you. If you think about that, um, what happens when you, when, you, when you think that everything in life is a matter of, uh, everything in life is a matter of law as opposed to Christian freedom. If you think that everything in life is a matter of law, then that means that absolutely everybody is required to make the same choices as you. And really, that's what it comes down to. If you think that, if this is the way you think, it's just that everybody's required to make the same choices as you because you are the one who has established what the law is, not God. Right? But, but I'll follow that up and say, everyone has to make the same choices as you, or else you feel condemned by them because they made a different choice than you. As soon as they do something different, you think that they think that you're a sinner. Women do this a lot with kids. Men do this a lot with things that don't matter nearly as much as kids. But you women, you're, you're tempted to do this all the time with uh, things that are, of, that are questions of wisdom and decisions that have, that have nothing to do with God's command 
and right and wrong apart from whether you've done them by faith or not. No matter what you do, you have to do it by faith. And as soon as you're concerned that other people doing something different means you're condemned, it means that you didn't do it by faith. You think about nursing and bottles and schedules and discipline and all of these kinds of things are the, the, like the very early years of raising children, just the very early months even. And the moment that you make a decision about what you're going to do, you feel like everybody has to do the same thing as you. Why? Well, you would say because it's, because it's wise and because I can reason and demonstrate that it's going to be better for the children in the long term and because I have these scientific studies that show that this, that, and the other. But really what the reason you want everybody else to do what you do is to affirm you in your decision, which means it wasn't by faith because all you're looking for is other people to make you feel good about your decision. And it makes me want to pull my hair out. Stop being so concerned about what other people think about you. As soon as you feel like everybody else has to do the same thing you did when they're in that situation, you know you're not acting by faith in that situation. As soon as you feel condemned by other people, in, in, this, in these kinds of decisions. And, and remember, we're talking about in the category of, this is important, right? We're talking about in the category of things that are just choices, like whether to have one piece of cake or two. The Bible never says you may not have two pieces of cake, right? And so, that's the area that we're talking about. And you say, well, but children are so important, not like cake. And I say, yeah, yeah, we have very specific commands about children. Raise them up in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. Now, go do it by faith. And you say, well, aren't you going to tell me whether I should homeschool or whether I should put them in a Christian school? And I say, no. No, I'm not. And you say, well, at least he didn't include public school. And I say, public school too. Raise your children up in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. That is a command. You must do it. And the only way you can do it is by faith. But there are an awful lot of ways of doing it. So how can you tell if you're doing things by faith? Well, if you're double-minded about it after the fact, if you're double-minded about it before the fact, that's a good indication that you're heading towards not doing it by faith, right? 
but especially if you're double-minded about it after the fact and constantly want to revisit whether you should have done it. It's not by faith. And even if what you did was actually sin, and you're going back and arguing with yourself about what you, whether it's, you, you know, just, just say, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. Either that was foolish or, or even, yeah, that, I shouldn't have done that. That was sinful. Now move on by faith. Quit having these anxieties and doubts and thinking you should have done something else. And Yeah, maybe you should have. Now live by faith. Trust God to accomplish his will in your life and with your life and with all of the decisions and with all of the mixed motives that you have. Despite your sin. And then work at repairing the damage that's been done by your sin. But do it all by faith. Your motives and whether or not you have faith determine whether what you are doing is pleasing to God within his law. Even within the explicit commands, it is possible for us to do the right thing after right thing after right thing year after year and for it to be displeasing to God. Just look at the Pharisees. That's what they're best described as. People who did the right thing and the right thing and the right thing and the right thing all for the wrong reason. And Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So don't respond to that like the wicked slave who says, all right, well, fine, if he's going to be that intense about us doing the right thing, then we're just going to start making a lot of rules. One piece of cake only. Homeschool only. Dressed up this way only. That's the wicked slave. But to the pure, all things are pure. And that's what we need to be. We need to be pure, undefiled, filled with faith. Let's pray to him and ask him to strengthen our faith.